Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Evan. I don't think I, I did. Okay. Pastor Evan, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning, so I invite you to find that. Uh, however, you're reading scripture today, physical Bible, or with your thumb on your phone, or index finger, depending on how you do it. Galatians 3, 23 through 29 is where we're going to be. Uh, I appreciate this children's sermon kicking us off in sort of the, the individual nature of us becoming uh, God's children and being conformed to the image of Christ, and we're going to talk about the family of God then that is created from that. Galatians 3, starting at verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are, the, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Many uh, years ago when I was in college, uh, I was curious about uh, the environmental movement, so I went to go to a couple different environmental groups. Uh, I was in Chicago at the time to see what was going on there. And the first one I went to, a, a talk by an environmentalist, um, he had been arrested the week before for chaining himself to a door at Home Depot in protest. And so that was an interesting story to start with, not knowing what I was getting into. And then he showed pictures of his boss in his organization who was free climbing the Golden Gate Bridge with the actor Woody Harrelson to put some banner up, snarling traffic to protest something. I don't remember what the protest was, which tells you that the medium, medium overtook the message in that case. Uh, but then I, I followed up. I, I was just curious enough that I followed up and went to a, a conference, a small conference on the south side of Chicago. And uh, it was all vegan cuisine. And it was really good, by the way. Chocolate chip cookies were incredible. Um, but it became pretty obvious as they talked about protest and all the different ways that they were going to go about this, that these were not my people. It was just obvious as I, as I investigated this. These were not my people. Paul here is showing us who our people are supposed to be and what they're supposed to look like. Paul's showing us what God's family looks like. And what he demonstrates here is, is the look, the question of who are my people, and that has implications of how we operate and act, but he's not really going uh, in that direction at this point. So we're going to stick with the who are my people at this point this morning to investigate what Paul is saying here. Because he's, he's continuing an argument of, of what happens with our salvation, not, not in the law, but in Christ, and then what that means for us as a people who are being conformed to the image of Christ. As he says that, who are my people, is what he's asking. And the simple truth behind all of this that we can state this morning, and it's so, it seems so elementary and basic, but I think it's worth noting, when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to his family. And, and it comes as kind of maybe the people we wouldn't always choose. But they're his family. When you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to his family, you're proclaiming these are my people. 
Paul gives a couple different images here, and he talks about being locked up by the law as we started our passage this morning. And and Paul's writing not simply to a Jewish audience, it's a broader audience, Jewish-Gentile. Obviously, you can see that from the context. But Paul is, is pointing out a major mental shift that needs to go on, especially for those who grew up living under the law all throughout the Old Testament. He's saying, in Christ, the law is fulfilled. Now it's all grown up. What, what God planned from the beginning has happened. But this major mental shift that has to happen in those who lived under the old covenant promise, Paul is one of those for their whole lives and were steeped in it. All through the Old Testament and, and sort of the Jewish mind, law is life in their mind. And rightly so, that's why God gave it. Even today, if you read Jewish scholars, they'll point out, and, and pract- practitioners of Judaism today, the law is, gives rhythm to life. It's a joyful thing. It gives direction. But Paul is saying, guess what? That's grown up in Jesus Christ, and it's been fulfilled, and now God is doing something new. It doesn't disregard the old. It's a new phase of what God was planning on doing the whole time, and there's a major mental shift that has to go on for half of Paul's audience at this point. If we go to chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul talks about this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus fulfills the law. And what that means, among other things, it means that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. It was never through the law. The law was doing something else. Salvation only comes through Jesus. Second thing that that this means is that Gentiles are going to be added to the family as a primary goal. That wasn't out of the view of the Old Testament, but now it's obvious that this was a major part of what was going on. And the third thing that it means that Jesus fulfills the law is that God's covenant with Abraham and with his family, that promise is now being fulfilled still through Abraham's family, that his family would be a blessing to everyone. That is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, if you ever get uh, frustrated with TV shows where people don't seem, the characters don't seem to mature or learn. Anybody? I was actually thinking this morning, one of the classic examples of a character going backwards in TV history is Homer Simpson, who the first season was really smart and then got dumber as the seasons have gone on. But, I mean, think through some of the, some of the sort of the major plots, especially of almost every comic book movie, if you've ever seen any of them, uh, or TV shows. What you have is a, somebody who doesn't fit in at the very beginning of a show or movie, but they have some kind of special ability or some character. You can see that there's something there. That's why we're watching the show. And then along the way, they have this sort of one mission in life that they figure out, and they gather this ragtag group of people around them who are all on board with that same mission of this person. And then the plot gets to the high point, and that one individual character says, I've got to go do this thing alone. <laughs> yeah, have you, have you run into this plot? It's, it's like every other plot of a movie or show at this point. Well, no, you don't have to go do it alone because all these people said that they're on your side and on your team, and then they go off and do it alone, and guess what happens? They can't, and everybody else comes and joins them, and then they celebrate in the end. We did it as a team. 
It's a silly plot, but we keep watching them over and over and over. They don't learn. And it gets frustrating sometimes, yet we keep watching the movies. The law was a teacher. It was also a Messiah marker. It was those two things among others. Galatians 3.23, we're, we're looking back at the beginning of our section. It says, before the coming of faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. And Paul almost mixes metaphors here, but not quite. He's got a lot going on with, with the law and growing up and being called a son and not a slave. It all actually fits together, but he's kind of kind of moving, zigging and zagging with this thing that he's using. He's saying we were held in custody under the law. Some commentators point this out almost like, it's not quite jail, but almost like being under the guidance of a strict governess or a headmaster of a school that's just chop, chop, this is how you're going to do it, but they're not your parent, that kind of thing. And clearly, some people misuse the law. Paul's addressing that in this letter, but that's not what he's getting at here. Uh, Paul is pointing out that the law was never intended to save. It was intended to teach us a couple of things, among others. One is that God is holy. And if you get nothing, if you ever read the Old Testament, if you get nothing else from the Old Testament, you should recognize that God is holy. That's kind of one of the main points of the whole Old Testament. Yes, God is love. I think that's very clear in the Old Testament. Uh, But God is holy. He is not his creation. He's something different than his creation. And he created it lovingly and cares for it, walks with it. But he is holy. And then we also get... Uh, from the law, it shows our unholiness. It shows the fact that we aren't God, that we can't measure up. It shows us what it's supposed to look like to kind of be God-like in a sense, or godly, but we can't do it on our own. The call of the Old Testament is to be holy because, as I am holy, and yet we can't do that without God. That's what we're informed throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Paul's saying that's exactly the case here. The law was teaching us what it means to be godly, but it also taught us that we couldn't do that. We can't do that on our own, so the law can't save. In verse 24 then, Paul says, and here's where he kind of gets the full metaphor going now, he says, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So the law doesn't save. It's Christ. As a fun question, uh, after church, when you're going to get your snacks uh, out there, ask somebody else, what did you want to do? What did you want to be when you grew up? It's always a fun question. If you don't, especially if you haven't talked to somebody in a while and you think, well, this is a good conversation starter. What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to dig up dinosaur bones when I was pretty small and kept on with that for a long time uh, until I realized how detail-oriented archaeology is and thought that'd be really boring. But I just wanted to dig in the dirt. Uh, but I did, I did almost enter a biblical archaeology program, so there was that, but I decided it was too detailed. Not for me. Um, I love reading about it. Don't want to go do it. What did you want to be when you grew up? Good question to ask. It's fun. What was Israel supposed to be when they grew up? What, what were they supposed to grow into God's covenant people? They're the light of the world. Jesus calls it your city on a hill, is what he says. You're supposed to gather the nations to God's presence and glory and bring them in. It was a Gentile-oriented mission. They were supposed to demonstrate God's holiness by living the law and say, this is what it looks like. Come be a part of this. This is what you were intended to be. God's covenant people find maturity in Jesus. They're all grown up at that point. The law was a teacher. There's a 
good book called Screens and Teens, Dr. Kathy Cook. Uh, she talks a lot about, uh, all of her stuff's good. She talks a lot about parenting and, and raising kids and that sort of thing. And this one's, uh, we have extras in the Welcome Center. I forgot to get them out, but if you want one, talk to me. I, I'll just hand it to you. We've got a few in the back. She talks about five lies that teens believe as they use technology more and more. And quite frankly, the reason it's a valuable book, even if you don't have teens, is we all kind of start believing them. Uh, like, number five, lie number five is information is all I need, so I don't need teachers. That is to say, when, when teens and youth can access Google and find the answer faster than a teacher can, they realize I don't necessarily need an authority figure to figure this out. All I need is the information. It's right at my fingertips. I can get it anywhere. And she talks about the lies that, that we start to believe and then the truths that we need to teach as God's people. But this is interesting. Um, she gives us a little anecdote about this idea that, that information is all we need, so I don't need teachers. And I, I thought it was instructive as we think about the law being our teacher. She says, these days, even young children can figure out how to work handheld devices. A Facebook friend posted that she was watching a show on Netflix when her two-year-old approached. He picked up the remote, found the show he wanted to watch, and started watching it. Her post ends with, I guess I'm done watching my show, LOL. That post didn't make me want to laugh out loud. Sure, this toddler's intuition with technology is obvious, but this was a perfect moment for teaching him that having strengths doesn't mean he automatically gets to use them. As an adult authority figure, she had every right to, right to watch her program and redirect her son to something else. It was a perfect opportunity to teach him self-control and respect for authority. Her passive submission to his television takeover taught the young boy a different lesson. He doesn't need an authority or teacher. The law was a teacher. It also taught who the authority was. Genesis 19:18, when the three visitors come to Abraham, and it's, it's the voice of God here saying this, for I have chosen him, Abraham, it says, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So it's supposed to be passed down from generation to generation to learn what God wants, what God intends, what the, how to live out the promise. How is that going to be done? It, Proverbs 19.18 is instructive. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. But how do you discipline your children? How do you teach them what's right? How do you do what, uh, what Abraham was tasked with to pass it on from children to children? Psalm 119, you could read the whole thing and you'd find out the answer, but Psalm 119, 24, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. The law teaches who God is, what his holiness is, but the law couldn't save because works can't save. We are not good enough. Only Jesus saves he puts the law in our heart and makes us a new people. And that's what Paul's getting at here. If we go back to verses 26 through 28, it's a remarkable statement that Paul makes. I mean, as remarkable as they come in the ancient world and even now when you think about it. He says, In Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And this is it. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What an astounding statement to make. 
in a world that was entirely based on hierarchies, where women were less valuable, for Paul to say that in Christ Jesus, guess what? You all matter. The idea of being the family of God, children as heirs under our true father, is what makes sense of verse 28. And and as I looked at it again this week, it always comes across so plain to me, but then you look at it further and you realize there are a lot of ways that this could be misunderstood. And so I want to make sure that we understand the picture of what Paul is saying here. I want to say a few ways that this has been misunderstood to correct it and and move forward to talking about the family of God and the, the entrance into that. One way that this has been misunderstood is that when people hear there is neither, and then the whole list of things there, that we are all supposed to look and think alike, is what it says. Uniformity, right? We're all just one big Jesus blob. We all have the same mission and love. That's what this means. And that's Jesus Christ. That's his mission. That's unity, not uniformity. Those are not the same things. We're unified in that mission together. And it does bring with it uh, certain ways that we are going to act the same way. Like there's a moral component to this that cannot be ignored, right? We're being conformed to the image of Christ. That's going to act a certain way in the world and look a certain way in the world and operate a certain way that's going to be cross-cultural. That matters. But what I think about, the the image I think about in this is that when when my wife Stephanie and I were attending a church when we lived up in Vancouver, we were attending a Baptist church for a while uh, with a generally white Canadian congregation upstairs and a Chinese immigrant congregation downstairs. And it didn't matter how loud the organ might be playing upstairs, you could hear the Chinese congregation singing a cappella downstairs through the floor, shaking the house. We're all equal at the foot of the cross, both of those congregations. We're going to have different expressions of how we express the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to be able to reach different people. There's going to be some different cultural ways that those are expressed. But it's going to end up being like Revelation when it talks about all the tribes, all those who know Jesus, they're going to come and there's going to be something beautiful about the differences that are there. But they're all unified in love and mission of Jesus Christ. It's not uniformity, it's unity of mission and love. They're all going to evidence the fruit of the Spirit like we talked about this little morning. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's going to be cross-cultural. That's going to be in the Chinese congregation downstairs and the Canadian congregation upstairs or the American congregation here. That's unity, not uniformity. Variation of this that I've heard fairly recently is that uh, when it says there is, there, uh, is neither male, no, male and female, the language is fairly specific in the way it says it, that that means that male and female aren't a thing anymore, gender fluid in a sense, if you will. Um, that's not what it says, just so we're clear. There is male and female. We matter. We're redeemed as male and female. And just like Jew and Gentile are still those, slave and free might not change because that's a social status, not a Christ status in this case. Even today, there are people who are enslaved around the world who can come to Christ. That doesn't mean they're going to be freed in that sense right then, but they are free in Christ. Male and female don't and can't change, but we're all equal in the family of God in importance. Social status and cultural divisions are not binding in the church. 
is what this means. In Christ, one is not superior to the other, but there is still male and female. Thanks be to God, right? My wife thinks differently than me, and I'm really thankful for that. I'm really thankful that as a a pastor in our denomination, I get to work with both men and women who are pastors, and we think differently, and it makes us better because we're redeemed as male and female. That matters. Those are not gone. A second way that this gets misunderstood so that we just understand what we're talking about here is, is a focus that we have, and this really gets focused on in the church more and more now, is the idea of what's Latin is imago Dei. You'll hear that thrown around a lot, the image of God. I throw that around because you hear that, that term a lot. That in Christ, when it says there is neither, that that means a colorblind reality and everybody's created in the image of God and so we're all good to go. It doesn't say that either. Galatians 3.28 is a description of the redeemed people of God as the family of God. It begins with in Christ, not just as created beings in the image of God. In Christ is how it starts. That doesn't mean that we don't have value as people being created in the image of God. We do. But what it means is the family of God that's being created here, who we're designed to be, is not simply created in the image of God, but made right with God through Jesus Christ. So the redeemed family of God. Romans 10, 9, just as a reminder, it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then I'm part of the family of God. Before that, this stuff, there is still social status and all that that's going to rule our lives because we're not in Christ, living in the family of God, or we're equal at the foot of the cross. Third way that this can be misunderstood, and we can't go in depth in this, but it's got to be mentioned, is the idea of the fancy term of supersession. That is, uh, there is neither, when people hear that, they hear that God is done with his covenant people completely. I don't know how to parse all of that because there's a lot of complications to that, but I I do want to say this. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection is Pentecost, what we commonly call the birthday of the church. And it is the birthday of the church, but it doesn't mean that God was, uh, it, it doesn't stand in continuity with what God was doing in his covenant. It's a new expression and phase of what God was doing with his covenant with Israel. And I think Paul is evidencing that very clearly right here. We're part of the expansion of God's promises through Abraham, not a replacement of those promises. That's the difference. In Genesis 12, when God gives that initial covenant promise to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. We, as the church today, are part of that promise. The expanded family of God, bringing Gentiles into the family, was always part of the plan. Think Melchizedek. Think Jonah, if you want some simple examples. Read the prophets, especially the major ones, where you run into God working in other nations, trying to bring them home to him. But now it's highlighted as a key part of the plan in Christ. This is the covenant plan of God coming to maturity, all grown up. God's creating a bigger family. And it's going to be an interesting, interestingly diverse family, the way it comes together. 
I was struck recently, I saw this headline recently for some reason, it's not at all Thanksgiving time, but it was related to that. This was from USA Today. Grandma celebrates fifth Thanksgiving with man accidentally invited to dinner. I don't know if anybody else read the article back when it happened. It, it's pretty cute. Um, and, and what you have is a, a family that, in a sense, that wouldn't be expected in this case. Grandma texted her grandson. He had just changed his number, so she had the wrong number in her phone, and texted a random guy, roughly the same age. She was white. He's African-American. Um, and so he's like, wait, is this my grandma? So he texts her back. Can you send a picture? Because I'm not sure if you're who you say you are. She sends a picture. She's white. He's not. She's like, he's like, that's not my grandma, but can I still get a plate? And she says, yeah, come on over. <laughs> Five years later, they're still doing it and have created a wonderful relationship. Doesn't it feel good to belong? To feel welcomed and to matter somewhere? To be a part of a family? That's what they've experienced together. Let's read 26 and 27 again and then skip to verses 6 and 7 in the next chapter. Paul, so in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. I mean, thanks be to God for that. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And let's skip to verses 6 and 7 of the next chapter. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Two things that Paul just barely crams in there that are worth our mentioning. I mean, just passing, but they matter so much in here. Paul talks about baptism. Baptism is one of those marks of God's family. In baptized, we recognize the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, the one who, the architect of creation. The Son, the one who created and then redeems, and the Spirit, the one who finishes the work. If you follow Christ, if you've made that confession out of Romans, then the Holy Spirit is actively working in you to finish the work that God started. In baptism, we allow the grace of God to begin its work in us. We acknowledge that that's what's happening. It doesn't save, but we're acknowledging that grace of God in us. And particularly, we allow the grace of God to begin its work in us because baptism loudly proclaims, these are my people. That's why Paul brings it in. These are my people. I am with this family of God. Dying to self, rising again in Christ. And as the baptized family, we recognize that we may mess up in this life, Sin may still happen, unfortunately, in our own lives. That's why we confess. But we're baptized into God's grace with a people of grace who can call us back and walk with us. Baptism marks us as a family, like we're reading here in Paul, in Galatians. And Paul talks about the clothes of Christ, clothing ourselves with Christ. We bring our past when we come and we lay it at the altar, but we put on new clothes in Christ. When our oldest daughter went to school for the first time in kindergarten, we were living in Colorado, Colorado Springs, and she started attending this school that was right in the foothills, and it was fun to go to orientation because they, it was very random the way they went through it. It was really very fine school, but they went through things really in a random order. They're like, oh, and down the hall, there's our water fountain with the new water bottle spigot holder. It's really cool. You should go check it out. Okay, next thing on the list, here's, what, here's the protocol for if a mountain lion comes onto the playground. It happens every so often. And then here's, 
wait a minute, what? But it was a, it was a school, it was a really nice school, but, but we were actually on the waiting list for another school. And this school, the first school, no uniforms, anything like that. Second school, there were uniforms. It was an interesting shift uh, because I had never done that. I read, frankly wish I would have had uniforms growing up now that I look back at it. And so she had to go to school all dressed up like the other kids. And it was kind of fun to see all these kids go in their uniforms together. And, you know, you, you think about when we talked about uniformity and unity, there's a unity there. They're there for the same purpose, but that's definitely not the same kind of kid under each of those uniforms. They are all different, unique, and distinct. But they're all wearing the same clothes because they all have the same goals moving forward. They're all working together. We become heirs of God's promise through Jesus Christ. Eternal life is given to us starting now to enter into the kingdom of God, God's remaking of the world and undoing all the damage of sin that's gone on and the curse of sin that we live under right now. And we're given a new reality with a new people starting now and continuing forward. And we put on new clothes when that happens. It doesn't mean we lose every bit of distinction about us, but it does mean we have a new purpose. We belong to somebody else instead of ourselves. When you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to his family. And so two simple questions as we conclude here today. One is, have you claimed your true family through baptism? I know I've asked this a lot recently, but I think it matters to keep asking it. Have you claimed your true family through baptism? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you haven't or you want to, talk to me. You can also go to the digital bulletin, the Sunday page online, and check off the form on there, and I'll, I'll contact you. The second question, having to do with the clothing of Christ, do your actions and attitudes show that you are wearing the clothes of Christ? Are you someone who is hospitable when we're in-house, for instance, to those who would come and join us? Are you someone who's mission-focused, not divisive, but unified in why we stand for what we stand for and walk forward with what we walk forward for? Are you loving and caring towards those within the body of Christ, even among our differences? Are you serving the mission not haphazardly, but wholeheartedly. Have you claimed your true family? Do your actions show that you're wearing the clothes of Christ? Let's pray together. God, thank you for making us your children through Christ and heirs to the promise. We know that the promise didn't start with us, but you've grafted us into the tree along the way. May we be nourished and may we grow. May we be wise as the family of God, loving and caring towards one another and ready and willing to welcome others into the family of God. May we live out our baptism to walk away from anything that stands against you and live in conformity with your Son, Jesus Christ, and His will and desire within us. May we walk around this world in our lives our jobs, and our homes, at the store, at school, with your clothing on. So that people recognize something different about us, that the law is in our heart and we are living it out, that we are a people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And that that stands out and that that is enticing to others to enter into your kingdom. As we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.